Welcome, everybody, back to another edition of Take the Hill, a leadership podcast designed to connect you with individuals who are demonstrating or experiencing great leadership uh, in the globe, right? So we're here today with a very special guest, Donna, uh, who is going to kind of anchor and kick off our new series, what we're calling Three Things. And the idea behind this series is right now, we're not very we're not traveling as much as we are, but we want to continue to illuminate and introduce you to all kinds of new cultures around the world. So our starting point today is going to be in Jordan, and we are going to continue over the coming weeks to travel virtually with guests from around the world. And again, we are super excited to be here. Welcome, Donna, to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we are super excited. And again, we know you are going to set the bar super high, uh, as you always do. <laughs> so, so Donna, what, why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself? And then uh, we can jump into the big three things about you and, and your country that you want to share. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I'm an international student at Point Park. Um, I do business management. I'm a junior. Um, I'm half Filipino and I'm half Jordanian, but I was basically, I lived all my life in Jordan and I just moved here for college. Um, people typically do that there. They just go abroad for school for seeking better opportunities. Um, I'm very, very passionate about where I come from. And it's something that I always try to talk about, especially coming to the United States and being from the Middle East where a lot of the media is not always um, what it is. Um, so I'm very interested and I'm very excited to talk about today. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. And again, you know, I've had the pleasure of having you in a couple of my classes, Donna. And again, your perspective uh, that you bring to some of our conversations, I think, is what really enhances our overall student experience. Um, so thank you for that. So, so tell yeah, us a little you. bit. Thank you. I appreciate your classes a lot, actually. <laughs> well, thank you. Appreciate it. So, so tell us a little bit more about, I guess, your upbringing. Okay, so um, my mother is Filipino. Um, so she came to the Middle East. She didn't really know much. It was kind of weird because my mom moved to Jordan, but my dad still worked in the Philippines. So they sort of okay. switched home. Um, they decided it's better to raise us and have certain values and just be used to the way it is there. Um, but my parents were pretty... They're pretty chill, I want to say. That's the thing about, like, in Jordan. Um, there's no, like, one way. Not everyone's very, like, fundamentalist. So it, it really differs. Um, one big thing when I was, when my parents raised me that they stressed on was mainly family, 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 and school. So that's, I have a really big family. I have six siblings. Um, oh, wow. So, yeah, so it was always family-oriented events all the time. Yeah. Do you get to see your siblings much? So it's actually pretty funny because yeah. um, whenever anyone would go to university, they would go abroad. 
so at one point I was home alone because I'm the youngest and my sister was in London. My brother was also in London. My brother was in San Francisco. My sister was in Qatar. My sister was in Dubai and my sister like in Germany. It was like all over. Um, we didn't really get to see each other a lot because of different schedules and then everyone got married and had kids. Um, but right now, um, five of them are in the U.S. So it makes oh, wow. it easier for me to visit them. And it makes it easier for us to plan this, like, sort of, like, family trip that we never got to do. So, yeah, cool. it's pretty cool. Hey, Donna, I have a question. You keep bringing up that uh, many uh, people from your country study abroad. Can you, can you tell me why is that so, why is that the norm? So it's not, the, it's, it's not that common, but it is pretty common. Um, because education there is good. A lot of the universities are accredited, but most, most parents want their kids to have better education because of the high rates of unemployment in Jordan and the economy. Um, we don't have a lot of natural, like oil, like other Middle Eastern countries. So in my dad's head, he's like, okay, so if you were to study in the U.S. and come back here and work, you're going to be hired sooner than someone who studied there because they think, oh, this is like you went abroad, you stepped out of your comfort zone, and you went to a better university that is internationally accredited. So just seeking better opportunities and honestly also personal growth. Most kids who go abroad, their, fam their parents have also been abroad, and they know how it is. They know how you grow from it. So they also like encourage that. Yeah, and that's, yeah, it is. And that's one of the things that I try to impress upon a lot of my students is, again, if you have the opportunity or the means to do so, take the opportunity to study abroad, you know, or even mm -hmm. do it, or even do your master's degree overseas. You know, I have three students that are doing that now because, again, it just expands your perspective so much. <laughs> that's very true. It's just because once you step out of your comfort zone and you're not in that place where you're very like sheltered and you're used to this. And I lived my whole life in Jordan, 18 years in Jordan. So it, it was, you know, the first phase is usually culture shock and then <laughs> yes. you start adapting and then you start noticing how you're adapting. So this journey is very good for self growth. Oh, I'm very grateful. So I, I'll share with you kind of, you talk about that culture shock um, and it's interesting and it's, it's pretty powerful. It's a real thing. And, but again, as you said, it's kind of like you start to realize what's happening while you're there. And, but mm -hmm. it also, for me, you know, in the countries that I've traveled to where, you know, I definitely have not spoken the language and oftentimes I don't even bring my cell phone with me, right. Or, or get a plan that I can use there because I want to learn, for example, how to use transportation. I want to get lost and try to figure out my way to where I need to go. And I think it's during those periods of time that I learn the most about myself as well as the culture that I'm in. <laughs> because okay. otherwise you're preoccupied. Oh, wait, I could just get a Zoom or I could just get an Uber or something to take me from point A to point B. But if I yeah. try to figure out how to walk or take public transportation, I'm going to meet so many cool people or see things that I would not normally see. And it's just that. So you have your life and your environment and your culture, you have a norm that you're used to. Mm -hmm. And in 
anywhere in the world, not necessarily even in a new country, because every family has a culture and then every person also has a culture that's different from the culture in that place they're in. So no matter where you go, another person is going to have a different view and a different way, but to them, it's their norm. So getting to see that is really, really cool and interesting because there's not, there's no like one specific way to live life. Yeah. So it's really cool. That's very well said. So I think that's actually a uh, great segue, I think, to opening up the door to some of the things that you want to share about Jordan. So (laughs) I just wanted to start by pointing out where Jordan is, because not a lot of people know where it is. Um, So it's actually like sandwiched between Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Syria, and the West Bank. Um, And then there's the Red Sea, and we also have the Dead Sea. Um, So... The thing about Jordan is that a lot of people, when you first tell them, yeah, I'm from the Middle East, they're like, oh, like, isn't it like a desert there? But it's really like not. What I love and miss about Jordan the most is the fact that it's very, like, it's very, the city is very Western, you can say. There's like fast food restaurants there's like different restaurants there's local restaurants there's bars clubs hotels really everything but also in the city we have a lot of beautiful sites so this is actually downtown it's a roman theater um and it dates back around ninety thousand years before christ um and it's pretty fascinating the way it's integrated into the city and how much the government actually takes care of these historic landmarks so this is during the roman empire i believe but the cool thing about it is that they always educate people in jordan about the importance of it because jordan is like a very poor country mm-hmm. so they always educate um they they make a lot of money from tourism, so it's always maintained well. A lot of people know a lot of things about it, and they use it for, like, concerts, which is, oh, wow. I think, it's absolutely beautiful. I personally have never been to a concert there. My parents have, and they have them around every year. And it's just, just to think that you're in a Roman theater right now, and you're in a concert it's it's very like modern meets old world and that's one thing that i absolutely love about jordan that is definitely one thing that again i tell students who are traveling abroad to really pay attention to because again you think about the history of the united states i mean you're going back three four five hundred years but when you're walking Mm -hmm. around some of the cities in europe such as the example you're talking about now you're talking about extensive thousands and thousands of years of history right in front of you that you could still literally sit in (laughs) yeah that's very true so like i'm going to talk about um this picture on the right with the column that is a place called jarash it's actually like 30 minutes away from my house um but it's also they have a temple for zeus there it's also during the roman period and it's really cool to see these things because you can actually see one of the columns was built to be able to tell the people that live there when there's an earthquake. So oh, it's wow. not steady. It's still like shake. And it's 
it's held by like something that looks like it's gonna break but it's been there for so many years and it still like moves around right now it's not stable but it was the way they invented it and the science behind it you could see innovation happening wow. years and years ago and it's pretty cool to look at um also, I want to talk about the Dead Sea, which is the picture in the middle. The Dead Sea is the lowest point on Earth. It is around 430 meters below sea level, which is around 1,400 feet, which is also something I've had to adapt to, the metric system and the feet and the Fahrenheit here in America. Um, and then there's Petra, which is a city that was carved. Um, as you can see, the stone was carved. It was actually one of the seven wow. wonders of the world for a period of time. So really, I love, I absolutely love the treasures in it. But the biggest thing is how they educate it in, in the communities there. In schools, we would always, always, every year at least have two field trips somewhere around Jordan. We would have to go camping every year for three days in one of those places. So it's pretty cool. It's um, amazing. I'm sorry not to cut yeah. you off. Go ahead. I was going to say it's no, amazing good. that it's it's so, so it's that interruption that we talked about, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's fine. So it's amazing. And I love to see that. And again, it's, it's the fact that you've integrated that education into physically actually going to these sites. As I know, at least mm -hmm. in the U.S., it's it's all boiled down. Everybody maybe gets U.S. History one and U.S. History two, right? <laughs> and and that's it. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe they get a field trip. So it's awesome to hear that this is a really integral part to your culture and the education process. Yeah, and it's because we live in the city, and the city is more Western and more. It's not. It's not like those places. Um, so everyone always stresses that you need to know about this and actually one cool thing is that if you go to these places you'll find um people who are nomads or you'll find people from like certain tribes and they work there there's the local people there and one interesting thing when i went camping in the fourth grade i think our teacher introduced us to this boy who was our age and he told us more about him and he told us how he would work there and he was sort of like a tour guide and he also had a camel and people would pay him to ride it and one cool thing that really stood out to me was the they he told me that he could he was fluent in six languages wow. he can't write his read or write but he's fluent in all six languages he knew Chinese, he knew Spanish, he knew Russian. I forgot what else he knew, but <laughs> that was like for someone who was, how old are you when you're in the fourth grade? Like 12? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm terrible with this. I, I should know this with having kids, right? <laughs> yeah, but it's fine. But like, it's absolutely crazy. Someone who's in the fourth grade who knows all of these languages, but yeah. it's pretty cool to see. Yeah, and that's just amazing. Because, and again, that's the other thing that I think that it, I that really sticks out to me is, again, in the U.S., maybe one or two languages sometimes, but again, so many other areas around the world, multiple languages, pretty much the norm. Um, I feel like I need to start learning more. So, my one question is: You said you have been to the Dead Sea, right? Yes, I have. So, do you really float when you try to swim in the water? 
you do float when you try to swim in the water. It's actually crazy. Um, but fun fact, uh, when you live there and every family vacation is to the Dead Sea, you really just oh. go because you're going to a resort. As a kid, you know, as a younger person, <laughs> not more. You just go for the pool because if you ever go to the Dead Sea, it's very, very salty that if you have like a wound or anything, it burns. It actually really, really does burn. And when you're young, it's like hard to like not be scared. Um, yes. <laughs> but it's pretty cool. You actually can't flow. And you like a lot of people like hold the magazine, like those pictures that you see. It's very true. All of it's true. <laughs> hey Donna, I, oh, I'm sorry. I had a question. Um, you know, I, I traveled to. Uh, I've only been to Africa. That was it. Uh, to South Africa and Zimbabwe. But uh, I have to say, one of the uh, eye-opening events for me was when I got off the plane. I realized, hey, I'm not in Kansas anymore. Um, mm-hmm. it, it was a, it, it was shocking to. To me, that some of the experiences I had that I thought, like I had this expectation uh, of the country being like this, like uh, people not very educated, people running around in grass skirts, blah, blah, blah. Maybe that's not the true expectation, but that's kind of an example. And boy, I, it was an eye-opener to find out that uh, it was so different than what I expected. Did you have that same experience when you came to the America? Uh, To the U.S., no, because um, my mother didn't speak a lot of Arabic. She spoke English more, so we learned English. And in our house, like, all our books were, like, series of stories that were, like, from American publishers. All the shows we would watch were more, like, American or, like, more Western in general. Um, So not really, because everyone really, like, the dream is to go to America, and everyone loves Hollywood movies, so, like, you kind of have an idea. I've also, like, visited at, like, before I moved here, I would visit, um, like, once every two years, because my uncle immigrated to California, so he worked there, so we would visit him around every summer, and he would show us around, or when I would visit my brother, but I didn't really have a lot of expectations in that sense, like culturally, because I did know a little bit about culture in America. I have noticed that like a lot of my international students and some of them even uh, commented on this. Like I perceive we uh, Americans have a hard time adjusting to other cultures versus individuals coming from other parts of the world seem to adjust or simulate more into our the American culture. Maybe it is perception. Maybe it is that, uh, you know, they have more, a better idea of what America is about. I don't know. Your thoughts? I mean, from my experience, I've realized that it's really not where the person's from. It's really just how much you've been exposed in your life. And there are so many factors that like tie into this, but it's sort of, you know, It really, like, comes down to the concept of diversity, which is, like, basically just accepting anything, no matter how, like, different it is or foreign it is to you. And I think that there are a lot of factors that might sort of, like, hinder that. For example, like, media, political reasons, personal reasons, some people that you've met and empathized with and you've heard their stories. So I think there's a lot of things that tie into it, but... I don't think that it's necessarily 
you know, people from America, like, don't really know or they're more culturally shook because I think that a lot of, you know, someone from Jordan can also not know what they're used to. I think it just depends on the exposure that you have in life. Excellent. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I think I agree with that too. It's more of a individual kind of reaction, right? So, like you said, if mm-hmm. you're more more accustomed to diversity or change or you know whatever, like you said, new things, and you said, I think that's part of how you're raised and just your mm-hmm. in, internal inquisitiveness. So, yeah, this is awesome. This is certainly one of the places that are on my list to get to. So I know Dead Sea, <laughs> maybe it's just all yeah. the, the, the fancy pictures. But and but again, I know there's a few places in Egypt, too, where, you know, cities have been carved into you know, the landscape. Which, I mean, it's amazing. So, yeah, Egypt is very beautiful. I've been there when I was young. It was very nice. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So, um, one thing that I also missed about home. Um, so as of April 23rd, the holy month of Ramadan started, which is the ninth month in the Islamic calendar. Um, people abstain from food and water from sunrise till sunset. Um, there are a lot of reasons for it. There are a lot of things that you're supposed to do, but really what I miss about it, and I'm in, I'm still in Pittsburgh right now because with the whole COVID situation, I just didn't feel comfortable going back home. Um, so this has been my first Ramadan away from home and pretty sad <laughs> because yeah. the thing is with Ramadan is it's more about the culture and community. So with a picture on the left, this is a guy with a drum. So in almost every community that celebrates Ramadan, you'll find someone who goes out into the neighborhood and then beats his drum like 20 minutes before the sun rises just to tell people, hey, guys, it's 4 a.m. The sun's about to rise. How about you drink some water or have a meal before you fast just so it's easier? Hmm. And then um, the picture on the right, it's just to show like how the markets come to life during Ramadan. Jordan in general has a lot of like outdoor markets, but they get busier during Ramadan because it's more about getting together with family. And then at the end, when the sun sets, you get together, you have a feast with your family and there's a lot of food involved. And I have tried to like, I cook. So one way that I adapted to being here and whenever I feel homesick, I just cook something from home because food is such a huge part of the culture, but it's not the same because it's more about just being with everyone. So that is one thing that I miss, especially now. Yeah. So I, I will admit my neighbor uh, is also Jordanian and his wife is from Pakistan. And the times that we have been able to go over for dinner are just amazing <laughs> and they grow a lot of their food in in their backyard as well and it's just delicious oh, wow. yeah I, it's amazing um so during ramadan is there any particular food uh, that is made maybe during that time of the year only that you may not get throughout the rest of the year and then part two is yes. if you had to there pick is. one or one or two things you know, what are, what is your favorite meal to make your food Okay, so one thing that we make usually only during Ramadan, it's called like a thaya. And it's basically sort of like a pancake, but it's like 
more like sticky and moist. And when they cook it, they only cook one side. And then the rest just like bubbles up and the bubbles burst. So they're like little holes in it. And then you fill it with cheese or homemade cream. And then you either fry it or you just serve it cold and top it off with pistachios. And you put like the sugar syrup on it. And usually the nice thing about this is that bakeries only sell it during Ramadan. So you will find like lines and lines of people just making sure they get their atayas every day. Make sure they're fresh. And it's cool because the bakeries turn like very like, they become very like tech bakeries, like modern ones with like the electric. (laughs) They integrate technology into it just to make it faster, sort of. Okay. So it's really cool. Um, if I had to pick one, I can't think of another thing that we only have during Ramadan just because our culture is very like food is a huge part. And I don't think a lot of people are just ready to give up a lot of things and have them seasonally. Um, but I can't pick anything, especially <laughs> like now is a bad time to ask me this question because I'm fasting right now. That is true. So, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so right now I wouldn't mind anything really. As long as my mom cooks it, I'm good. Uh, I would agree with that. Regardless mm-hmm. of, like you said, where you're from in the world, if, if mom makes the food, <laughs> it's good. Exactly. <laughs> right, I, agree. I agree. Yeah. And that's where I, I wish... I mean, we have some markets in the U.S., but like you said, I think I found, like you said, as you get out to different countries, like markets like this, the open-air markets are just much more prevalent. Um, and the selection of like food that's available, too, seems to be just so much more vast. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah you I find think that food is like 90% of the slide. <laughs> that's perfectly fine. We love food here. So <laughs> there's okay. nothing wrong with that. So, so if you were, you know, cooking a meal for friends of yours who maybe have never traveled to Jordan, what would be on the table? Okay. I, I always do this. Like every single time I cook, I make sure someone's here to try it. Um, I would cook just because I'm a beginner. I would cook something I'm good at and that I'm, I know is like foolproof. So it would be something called ma'lube, which is, if you translate it, it literally means upside down. And it's um, basically yellow rice. And you put with it chicken or beef, um, but like a special mix of spices for ma'lube. And then you put either cauliflower or um, eggplants and potatoes and chickpeas. And that is one of my favorite dishes. It's actually more like Palestinian originally, okay. but it's one of my favorite Arabic dishes to eat. I, I, took a sneak, I took a sneak peek at your slides, and is that the next slide? Is that what that stuff is? No, I did not put a picture of Matlube. Oh, okay. Uh, I saw the rice and so forth. Rice is always <laughs> like such a huge part of everything that like a lot of Arabic food is like rice. But it's just the seasoning that makes it different. Spices. When I first came here, I had like so many spices in my like luggage. And I thought I was so scared that they were going to confiscate it because like, I don't know, because like when you're traveling, it's just more strict. But thankfully they didn't. So I came prepared with everything. 
Right, yeah. That's awesome. So tell us about kind of the rice dish that we're looking at now and some of the, it looks like hummus, different hummuses and on the right side, because again, yeah. <laughs> they look wonderful. So the Ramadan thing was supposed to sort of like prepare, talk about like the food. Um, so the picture on the left is called mensa, which um, is basically, it's it's a Jordanian, like it's the national dish in Jordan. Mm. So it's basically rice with um, lamb that's cooked in yogurt, but it's not like any type of yogurt. The yogurt is called jamiz. And to be honest, I don't know the process of it, but it's basically, it, it becomes really dry and they form it into balls and then you buy it and then you cook it. And it has like a different taste. And usually they add ghee to it. Um, and then they boil the lamb with the yogurt and then they serve it with that rice. And then under it is like, um, it's a type of bread that's really, really thin. And uh, in Jordan, you're supposed to eat it with your hands. And you're supposed to like have one and then serve it. And then everyone's supposed to like stand up, put their left hand behind their back and start eating it. And there's a specific way to eat it because when you're eating it, you're supposed to sort of like shape your bite into like little round balls. So like there's a way like wrist motion and all that. I don't know how to do it. I just use a spoon and fork. <laughs> nowadays, mostly men do it, not women. I don't know why, but I mean, I'm happy with the spoon and fork. I've done it once or twice just for the experience, but it's really hard because the yogurt is actually like really hot. Like, there's some skills that you okay. need. And then um, anywhere you go in Jordan, you can always find the best hummus and falafel. And it's, hummus is actually, like, the one thing that I haven't been able to either find here that tastes exactly mm -hmm. the same or recreate myself. There's just something about having hummus and falafel in, like, the Middle East that's just different. And they're all, yeah. like, a huge – like, every morning I would wake up, um, my dad would have the breakfast table ready, and we'd have, like, falafel and hummus and bread and all that, and we'd always have breakfast as a family. And someone – the first person to wake up has to always go and get it. And then we have this joke in Jordan that you always get, like, 10 extra pieces of falafel because whoever's driving is going to, like, reach into the box and eat it <laughs> while driving back because they're hot and fresh and it's, like, really good. I can definitely see that happening. <laughs> yeah. So it's, a huge part of, of it is, like, just the food. Yeah. And I think that was – that's the part I really, really wish we had more here in the United States is – Again, around the food, it's not just a gathering, but I mean, you you sit for hours and just visit and eat and talk. And, you know, you'd sit down and four hours later, there might not be a whole lot of food, but I mean, you're filled and you know, there's always wine. right? <laughs> but it's uh, yeah, I just wish we had more of that. And that's something that I really treasured from each of the cultures. Like That element seems to still be present more than it is in the U.S. Yeah. It's, for example, when my grandmother would like make something for breakfast that she's like, there was this one dish that she was very, very famous for because everyone loved it. Whenever she'd make it and she would call my uncles and they're like, what are you doing today? And she tells them, oh, I cooked this. 20 minutes later, all my aunts <laughs> and uncles would be in our house 
just sit you guys. So it's, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's really how people celebrate here. It's how people mourn. They also have, um, mensas, the rice dish. And, um, when people are mourning and during funerals, they're supposed to serve mensas. So it's, it's a huge part of the culture. Um, which brings me to this gorgeous slide. Mm -hmm. So this is knafe. Um, this okay. is a dessert. And a lot of people in the Middle East typically celebrate. When they're celebrating, they make sure they have dessert. Usually knafe. It's uh, shredded phyllo dough. And then under it, it's cheese. And the way they cook it is that they melt the cheese and brown the phyllo dough and then serve um, the syrup on top. Um, oh, so I wanted to talk about the picture on the right. So this is a place in downtown Jordan. Um, it's one of many, many branches for this company. It's called Habiba. But this is a little booth. It's one of the oldest, oldest booths. And they have the best knafe there. And I don't know if you can tell, but there's people sitting on the sidewalks. And that is yeah. literally how you enjoy it. You stand in line for so long. You take one knafe on a plate and you sit on the sidewalk and you just enjoy it. And this is in downtown, so it's sort of like an older market area. That's amazing. And that's exactly what I love is like those uh, experiences like that. Like this is the best place to go. And again, you literally, like you said, you just sit down and with everybody and you just eat and enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And other, this is... Uh, this podcast is probably the one that's made me most hungry. So I'm really enjoying this. <laughs> this is what so, happens when someone who's fasting does this <laughs> Hey, this is great. And what makes this particular location the best at making this dessert? Because they're the oldest and they don't really... They, they've never changed it. You know how like some restaurants, like when you come back a year later, it's not as good. It's always as good from here. And also like downtown is like a very touristy spot because everyone wants to see the markets. Everyone wants to see how old it is and all that. So to see something in a place that's, that looks more not that developed and it looks a little bit older, you can tell, you know, it's like old world charm sort of. Mm -hmm. So for individuals wanting to travel to Jordan, like how would they find this place? <laughs> Is it, you know, are locals going to be recommending folks to go here or are they going to kind of keep it maybe a, a little bit of a secret? Or Now, this is a very, know? very popular. It's very, it's a very popular touristy place. Mm -hmm. So whether you're like a tourist and you don't have any friends in Jordan and you're just looking things up, this will definitely pop up. Or if you're even like some of my relatives who lived in like Saudi Arabia, whenever they'd visit Jordan, um, we would make sure to show them, oh, I'm going to take you to this place that has the best knafe. Like, even though you have knafe in Saudi Arabia, I'm going to show you this place because this is like very popular here. A lot of people always, the line is always very long, but it's honestly yeah. worth it. Awesome. It definitely looks delicious, and yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> it looks like I could eat certainly, probably all of that <laughs> pretty easily. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Nice. Um, so I just wanted to show 
some more pictures of the markets, how they're like open. Um, one yeah. of my favorite memories with my grandmother was going to the markets and seeing how like the vendors are yelling out certain rhymes in Arabic about like this vegetable trying to get you to buy it. Oh, it always awesome. looks so pretty. Um, and I want to talk about shawarma because obviously <laughs> it's like <laughs> very popular in the Middle East. And then the picture on the top is uh, something, it's it's something that they do more in the desert. Um, it's called, um, oh, I'm sorry, this is, this is chicken. It's called zed. Um, they usually do lamb or chicken or vegetables, but they basically cook it by digging a hole in the desert, putting coals at the bottom, and then leaving it to cook for like seven hours, and then they pull it out of the ground. Oh, wow. Yeah, and that that is usually like sort of the experience you'd get from um, going to going camping and more to like Petra or Wadi Rum or all those places that are more like they're like the desert. Mm-hmm. So what and, does it? So the bearing in the ground, like what is? I mean, obviously, I can imagine it's almost it's pretty self-contained, right? So the flavors and the mm-hmm. taste and everything probably are richer. Is there anything else unique about kind of that process of cooking? Um, it's really cool because you can actually taste the charcoal, but not in a disgusting way. Like it enhances okay. the flavor and it adds so much flavor to it. It's really good. And sometimes when they cook rice with it, the rice tastes like the cold, but in a really good way too. Mm. Um, so it's a nice cultural experience just seeing how they're like lifting it out and everyone's careful and everyone's like, oh my God, did this work? I know like my dad tried to build the same thing in our backyard to try to do the same, but it would never work with us. It was always a huge disappointment <laughs> because like there's, there's like a specific way you need to do it. And it's way better if you do it in like the desert. Okay. Just something about just the way that it is in terms of the land and the sand or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So back to the market really quickly, you know, if you were to go to this market right now, and I know you're hungry and you're in the middle of fasting, like what, what's your, your favorite place to go? Like, what are you looking for when you first go there? When I go to the market, um, it depends which market, cause there's like a section for fruits and vegetables. There's a section mm-hmm. for like spices. For me, I would definitely have to say the fruits and vegetables. My grandmother used to be a farmer um, we've always had, it's, it's like very, um, it's very common in the Middle East for everyone to own a piece of land where they farm and they harvest every year. So I'm pretty used to like going to our farm, used to pick olives from our trees, used to pick apples. Um, so I definitely say the fruits because they're all natural. They're all sourced locally from local vendors and they all just look really beautiful. Just yeah, and that's I think again from my travels, it's the colors, right? You walk in and you see mm-hmm. these markets; it's just so vibrant. Whether it's the fruits, yeah. the vegetables, or the spices, or it's just amazing. And the smells are because again, they're always trying to kind of lure you in, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And always they so like one huge thing in Jordan is hospitality, which I'm going to talk about at the end of this. Um, but they always give you free samples to try <laughs> the vendors will have this like pocket knife and then like sort of like cut the apple for you and be like try, try. <laughs> just yes. try it first and even if you don't want any they're like do you want more they're very generous people that's awesome 
That's awesome. Yeah, yeah it's markets again. You can get lost in there. I think for hours. <laughs> Between mm-hmm. the I wouldn't three mind. people. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. So for my second point, I wanted to talk about um, sort of tie into. I talked about the past. I talked about the food and a little bit of the culture. I wanted to talk about how women operate and emerge and succeed in a society that's considered patriarchal. So like when I first came here, everyone would ask me, okay, so you're from the Middle East. Do you cover your hair? Do you wear that thing where the scarf where they cover your hair? And I'm like, no. They're like, okay, you don't wear it here, but do you wear it when you're back home? I'm like, no, not really. Um, in Jordan, it's very common that it's your own choice that you get to choose. And if you aren't covered or if you are, really no one judges you. Um, But as a woman in general, you do have to overcome a little bit more given how it's not really, it's still not a first world country. And the way it is is that there's like old school and new school people sort of new ideas. And it's sort of like bridging that. Um, so I wanted to talk about um, this lady who was in Forbes Middle East, um, 200 powerful women. Um, her name is Mary Bataine, and she actually started um, she started a hotel in Amman, the capital, and it's called the Landmark Hotel. And I didn't know this before, but apparently it's like local. I I used to think it was just like another Hilton or like another Four Seasons or something, but it's it's Jordanian. It's local. Um, she became the chairman of the hotel in um, 2009. Um, and what I love about this is that she's a woman and she managed to create a brand, a local brand for a luxury hotel, which hasn't been done in Jordan before. Um, So that, that was pretty cool. Um, She, in an interview, she mentioned that we would always have like international hotels and all that. And I wanted to highlight and bring to the table something that's Jordanian because there's more to Jordan. It's culture wise. There's a lot to it. And there are a lot of like specific things. And she wanted to bring that to the table um, and it's really cool because um, she actually works with local farms for the produce to make sure that, you know, staying local, staying strong. Um, she has funded and developed a lot of like agricultural solutions for problems that she uses in her hotel. But at the same time, she's benefiting like a lot of the farmers that work there. So I, I did want to talk about um Sure. And, and that's yeah. really, it's a really an awesome example. And I think you'll starting to see more and more of these examples being illuminated. Because um, as you said, it, it is thought of or predominantly patriarchal, right? But again, mm-hmm. you, you see examples of to create kind of this, this upscale hotel, but still at the same time connected back to the culture and the economies of the local communities, which is amazing. And again, just this past week, you know, and I say this in my classes all the time, you know, women are generally better leaders than men, right? If you go down mm-hmm. to the science, the science, right? And you measure it based upon characteristics. And you now this is awesome. And I have no doubt that she's not 
she's having a significant impact in the region. But then there's probably a lot of other women looking at her and saying, we could do this too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is one big thing in Jordan is that people are allowed to, people are starting to innovate more. People are starting to think, people are starting to defy the norms. But at the same time, they're not sort of giving in to how everyone else is doing it. So we have a lot of fashion designers and they're all like very famous, but they all stay true to their roots. <laughs> if they're not giving back, they're either designing something about Jordan. And I think that's, that's something that is in the community because it's such a small country and we know that if people didn't really stick together as an economy, as, you know, a, a country where we have a lot of refugees in a region where there's like a lot of political instability around us. Jordan's one of the safest countries in the region. And, you know, to be able to prosper while staying true to your roots and never forgetting where you come from and also benefiting the, the community you came from is like very huge. And it's something I've noticed in a lot of business owners, a lot of, in almost every industry. Yeah, and that's uh, when you talk about organizational behavior, culture, leadership, like that tenet and that idea that, yes, you could change, you could innovate, but you can't forget who you are as as a core, right? Because, mm-hmm. again, that's a really important part that, again, you may be changing how you deliver, how you live or whatever element of your culture you're changing, but still at its core, that who you are kind of remains and you need to celebrate Mm -hmm. that and you need to keep that in focus and it's it's awesome to hear that yeah and then um i also wanted to mention this because i thought it was pretty (laughs) cool i just wanted to mention (laughs) some of the movies that were filmed in jordan um lawrence of arabia um indiana jones um aladdin the live action and uh, star wars and the martian they're awesome in Jordan. It's pretty cool awesome. seeing it growing up and all like, oh, I've been here. I live here. Yeah, and it's it's a certain amount of pride there too, right? Because that's, that's mm-hmm. your home. That's where you're from. And again, you've been able to see that and share it, at least on the screen, with, with the larger community around the world. So mm-hmm. I will admit I have not, not a super big Star Wars fan. So I know my kids are. So I'll have to go back and, and check some of those out. So yeah. now, do you see uh, Dennis is covering your, covering your eyes there? I know I should be a better star Wars person. Now, do you see more tourism to these sites now that these movies have kind of launched and maybe put you on a map a little bit more? Yeah, definitely. Especially um, where they filmed the Martian, mm-hmm. because the sand is very fine and it's like red almost there. So it kind of looks like Mars. And the way the government has dealt with it, or the sort of like the tourism kind of side, is that they have so many camps there. And there's like literally every single camp that you can think of. There's like sort of like glamping. So they're like igloos with like air conditioning and luxury cabins that you can camp there. And there's also like some tents made out of camel wool, which is what people use there. Um and there's so many different concepts and it's really cool to see how like new businesses grow to sort of cater to that. 
and you can tell how diverse and how they're like trying to accommodate as many people. So if you're going for the authentic experience, you can go to the like tent with the camel wool and there's like a big house where everyone like sits there and there's like a big fire pit. Or you can go to more like the luxury side, but still like the people there, the locals there will make sure that you know more about the culture. I'm full out camping. So I'm, I'm with you on that side. <laughs> yeah. It's it's so. really nice. We would go every year with our school and I'm very grateful to that because you know, with my parents, because they're older, we would never go camping. So being exposed to that was really cool growing up. And it was always like somewhere awesome. different. Awesome. Yeah. It's again, just, it just reinstates the, like I said, the beautiful surroundings that like I said you have, you know, right in your backyard almost mm-hmm. which brings up a good question and the one thing that in terms of the if, if you know this the kind of how long would it take to drive from one side to the other side of jordan okay so from amman to get to petra mm-hmm. is around three hours from petra okay. to wadi ram is like two hours but from amman to the dead sea it's only 45 minutes mm, okay and then the closest real sea because the dead sea has no fish or anything living in it because of the salt levels um the closest one is in Aqaba, which is a port to the red sea and that is a four hour drive or a 45 minute flight okay nice so it's not that bad because jordan is small yeah yeah and most people you know do they drive that community or would they just catch a quick flight no, most people drive. Very few drive. people um, fly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the third and final thing that I miss about Jordan is Jordanian hospitality. Mm-hmm. Um, so because a lot of people in Jordan come from tribes and come from the desert, they still uphold a lot of traditions. Um, that they used to do. So when we're welcoming people, we say ahlan wa sahlan, which literally like translates into family and ease. So we're telling people that we're your family and we just want to make sure everything is good for you, everything is comforted. And that's basically how you say welcome. Um, So a, a big part of it is you know, you're, if you ever visit Jordan, you're always going to have a lot of tea and coffee with someone and just even if you've met them, they're going to be like, oh, let's have like, let's hear some tea and all that. And there's like specific traditions, like when you're filling coffee, like that guy is in the picture. There's like a level that you need to reach and you need to serve with your right hand, I think, and pour with your left. I was never good at it. Whenever we had guests, <laughs> I'd ask my brother to do it. But it, it's really cool. And if you like, look more into it and ask like why do they do that and all that so like they fill it to a specific level so that they don't seem cheap to their guests also um the guest is the person who should be served first um and if if you're visiting someone you need to sit at the head of the dining table and no one starts eating until you start eating and no one stops until you stop yeah that's a a lot of there's a lot of thought and culture and ritual kind of behind even just something as simple as sitting down and, and having tea. Mm-hmm. That's all. Like now, if I it... told my parents that my professor mm-hmm. was in Jordan and visiting, they would invite you over and wouldn't take no for an answer. And you would, 
come <laughs> to see like a huge feast in your honor. Wow. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, it's weird. Be, I don't know. Maybe just I'm a little introverted. So like you said, being in that environment, it would be not uncomfortable, but just definitely overwhelming. Yeah, it's but, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, and again, going back to that idea of, again, if you have the opportunity to experience this, to, as you said, kind of take it all in and enjoy and watch and observe and, and not be, okay, well, we're going to be at this place for an hour and then we need to get up and move. Like you need to kind of slow down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And everyone's just always like making sure that the guest is comfortable and it can be overwhelming. A lot of, whenever we would have, we would bring friends home back <laughs> with us to Jordan just to show them around they would love it, but it's also like a little bit too much because like <laughs> our family is huge and there's a lot of food. And my dad is always like putting food on like the guest plate all the time. And <laughs> like you can't tell anyone who's older who's like giving you food as a guest. You can never say you're full. I mean, you can, but no one's going to listen. <laughs> and then we're like, okay, one more bite. Just one small Just a little, and then a little they more. give you like a big serving. <laughs> and then like dessert is served like five minutes later and then fruit and then coffee. Yeah. It's just amazing. And, and what's so weird about it though, is I will tell you, like I came back and I think I actually lost weight. And I don't know if it's because I was walking just as much as I was eating, but it, you're right though. It's just, um, it can be overwhelming a little bit at times, but mm -hmm. in, in a good way. Because often the food, as you said, is delicious, right? The company is is awesome, and being a part of that and being immersed in it is is it's an incredible experience. Yeah, you start like sort of having like a more holistic view and perspective, and it's yeah. in general traveling. That's that's what traveling does. So, like to anyone listening. If you have an opportunity to travel or if your university has like a study abroad program, I honestly highly, highly encourage you to do that because it's worth it. And I also think that um, right now at this age, like when you're trying to become more financially literate and you're like trying to like save, it's like very important that you always make sure you're saving for travel I think because you are investing in yourself and like I said earlier there's no one specific way to live life so if if you can I think everyone should really really invest in themselves and just travel from time to time I think you make a great point it's uh it's such a great opportunity to travel and my experience wasn't so great with food part of Africa I was in was uh food was pretty bad <laughs> so it was very difficult to I mean I wouldn't be able to live there or survive on uh, their everyday uh, cuisine or whatever now they tried to mm -hmm. with what their perception of American food was and it was a tough adjustment because you know I had baked beans for breakfast every day because they thought that's what Americans ate and uh, they provided but their 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 everyday food was, oh, it was awful. Um, but again, it was a great experience because I, 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 I thought, wow, Lord really spoke because they eat the same thing every day and the part I was in. And uh, so it, it was a great experience. Yeah. 
I would recommend, as you say, to if you ever get a chance to visit another country, by all means, grab that chance. Awesome. Uh, any final thoughts, Donna? I mean, this has been incredibly fantastic. Um, I loved you know, everything that you've shared with us, and it certainly, I hope, is going to engage others, not only to travel, but take the opportunity and, and consider getting to Jordan. I mean, it's a beautiful country, and as you said, hospitality and connection to people is important. Yeah, um, I just wanted to say that no matter where you go, nowadays like everyone thinks different everyone lives different and like i said earlier you can be in a place with a culture but then your family is going to have a culture and then you're going to have a culture so always keep an open mind because really that's what diversity is diversity isn't it's just accepting everyone no matter how they think and not really labeling them and having like sort of an unconscious bias towards whatever foreign thing happens, whether it's like a foreign thing that's visual. So if you see someone who looks different, who's wearing a hijab and you've never seen it and it's foreign to you, or if you hear someone who's telling you a concept that's really, really foreign to you. Like, for example, if someone tells you, oh, in my culture, like we shake hands, we we say hello by like with our feet. Like it can be something that sounds crazy to you and it's foreign, but you know, like you embrace that. And you're not labeling it as, oh, that's that weird guy that does that. You're just actually, you do you, like, because that's what diversity is. And I feel like over time, diversity has become more of something just to show people that we're better, you know, just to like, yeah, I'll just hire her just so that we can look better. Or our diversity audit is like, it looks like we have like a lot of different backgrounds and a lot of different profiles, but that's really not it. And once you travel, you actually like learn and see how, you know what, you're different. I don't agree with what you do. I embrace you as a person. I respect you as a person because you're, you have every right to think and do whatever you want, no matter what your reasoning is. And if you're not hurting anyone for it, then you do you. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's a beautiful way of saying it. You do you, you be you. And like you said, it's, you can, as you said, not necessarily agree with all of their politics or, or whatever it is, but at the same time, you can still respect the individual and, you know, treat them compassionately and you could still you know, engage in a great conversation. Right. And I think, like you said, as, as you experience more diverse cultures or areas, whether that's in your home country or abroad, you said you're expanding your lens. Right. And that's, that's the important part. Mm-hmm. So, all right, Dennis, any final thoughts before we start to wrap uh, up our show? No, my, my final thought, thoughts are that uh, this was a fantastic. Uh, I felt like I was in Jordan, and uh, I know that after we're done, I'm going to go eat some lunch because you made me hungry. But uh, <laughs> it was a great experience. Um, I appreciate you sharing your thoughts and so forth. They were very um very unique and uh, very in-depth. So I appreciate you sharing with us, Donna. Thank you for having me. It was very fun. Yeah. Excellent. And that's part of it, too. Not only do we have a wonderful conversation and get to learn so much from each other, but we're having fun while we do it, which I think is part of life that things get sometimes too crazy that we lose that element. 
So yeah, especially now, this is what everyone needs. Just conversation. Absolutely. So, which is why this is good is again, the beginning of our journey around the world. And I'm so glad you know you were here to share uh, with us your experience and the culture in Jordan. Uh, and like you said, it's uh, I learned a lot. <laughs> and again, we hope our listeners are going to get a lot out of this. So thank you again, Donna, for being here with us. Uh, any final thoughts before we kind of wrap up the show? If anyone goes to Jordan after this video, after this podcast, eat a lot of shawarma and feel free to reach out to me to tell you where to get food. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I know I'm going to start planning. So <laughs> especially now that I know I get to hang out with your family for a while, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Thank you. And again, so thank you, everybody, for joining us on our podcast today. Uh, we've hoped you enjoyed uh, the conversation with Donna and getting to learn a little bit more about Jordan, uh, the country, the culture, the food and the traditions. I know we all have learned a lot and we hope you do as well. So thank you for joining us. Uh, we want to give a quick shout out to both the Roland School of Business and Indiana University of PA as well for supporting our program. Also, uh, the man behind the scenes, Angelo and Spinning Thoughts. Check out his podcast. Without him, we wouldn't be able to produce this live show. And <laughs> thank you, Angelo. And our listeners from around the world, keep sending your questions. We owe you a Q&A, which is going to be out here soon. But we love to hear from you. Uh, it's, it's awesome, like you said, when we get feedback uh, from many, many different countries. And again, if you ever have an idea for a topic or want to join us on the show, just shout out anytime. Uh, like you said, we're, we're always open to that opportunity uh, as well. So, all right, until next time.